How can you grow faith throughout your whole life? WCF's Faith Launch Program is designed to help you answer that huge question as you embark on your own life journey. The answer matters because the true measure of our life is faith, learning to set aside our instincts and to trust God and His Son. You develop this faith in the decisions you make, the relationships you form, and the trials you encounter. Faith Launch gives you a set of strong faith-building tools, connects you with a network of peers and mentors, and helps you reflect on the best faith plan to help guide you through your journey. Faith Launch starts fall 2020 and is aimed at young adults between the ages of 18 and 35. There is no cost to participate, and to better accommodate your schedule, much of the program will be delivered online. The program wraps up with a final retreat to weave together key learnings and send off participants with fresh faith inspiration. To find out more, visit wcfoundation.org slash faithlaunch. Hi, this is Levi. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few of the other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships in From the Platform. It's a very in-depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. That's From the Platform. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think uh, Mr. Rogers meets uh, Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style and think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org. Now, here's the show. Welcome back to A Little Faith. This is a podcast sponsored by the Williamsburg Christadelphian Foundation. A Little Faith podcast explores both the challenges and hope of living a life of faith. I'm Helen and I'm here with Sister Dawn Andrews Temple. Hi, Sister Dawn, how are you doing? Hi, Sister Helen, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> I'm it's fine. It's lovely to see you again. Um, Thank tell, you. T- tell us a bit about yourself. And where are you? Yeah, t- tell us where you live. Well, I, I'm Sister Dawn Semple. I am from Georgetown, Guyana. I'm from the capital of Guyana. So um, we have six ecclesias here and just about a little under 100 brethren mm-hmm. in our country. I am a teacher. I'm a teacher by experience, but I'm really an accountant by profession. Mm-hmm. A mother of two, two daughters. Um, the eldest is 22 and the younger one is 16 years old. Uh, my elder daughter is married now, so I'm just left with my younger daughter. And I live together with my dad and my stepmom. And um, we have two elderly sisters that we've taken in under care who don't have children or anybody to take care of them, so they're with us. Um, so our home is practically a, an open home for brethren who would like to have family and company and friends. <laughs> that's lovely. That's, that's really nice to hear. And you've lived in Guyana your whole life? I've lived in Guyana my whole life. I've traveled, but I've lived in Guyana my whole life. Wonderful. I have three siblings, um, two sisters and a brother. I think most... Most people would know my brother, who is Dale Andrews from Canada, Brother Dale Andrews from Canada. 
Um, but I have two sisters as well, um, Sister Diane Andrews in the U.S., Atlanta, and my youngest sister, Deborah, who is with us in Guyana. Wonderful. So you're really, you're really quite spread out. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> now tonight you're going to share a very um, important and special story with us. But before we start talking about that, take us back to your childhood and what, what was it like growing up in Georgetown? And with your family? Um, growing up as a child, I, I must say I had very strict parents, um, both Christadelphians. Um, particularly my mother was um, very strict. So we didn't know about going out and mingling with um, friends from school and that sort of thing at all. We, we would play with our neighbors in the neighborhood under her watch. But um, she would. Have, she she always would say, "You your your siblings are your closest friends." So we found all the games imaginable to play together, and we would we would have the children of brethren and sisters would come over and share evenings with us, and and we would play and so on. But the major thing she concentrated on was um, discipline or education. And most importantly, our spiritual education. She would wake us up every morning at five to um, have the Bible readings done, all three of them, to teach us to pray. She, she would have us kneel there and she would listen to us pray um, together. And she tried to instill in us that connection of, of family and looking out for each other and learning about the word of God and actually making it a part of our lives in our discussion mm-hmm. and um, she would keep reminding us of things we've read when we step out of line especially the lesson of obedience mm-hmm. <laughs> your children would disobey the lesson of obedience was a very important one and on the opposite end the lesson about what happens when you rebel because there were times we would rebel <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, she was she was very good with that. We didn't understand when we were children because she had her own method of discipline, and that was it's nothing like what we know about today. Um, she was she was the woman with the rod, so she she gave an instruction and she didn't get a positive response. Then the rod came into action. <laughs> so that that is what we were accustomed to. Yeah. Of course, we all vowed we wouldn't do that with our children. <laughs> Times have changed anyway. Yeah. Um, yes, but we had we had fun times um, among ourselves and with our neighbors and with um, our friends from the the ecclesia, um, playing together, studying together, always at youth camps, youth circle, Sunday school, um, and there was a period of time when my dad was away from home because he was studying. So our brethren and sisters would take us in their homes as children on Sunday after church so that we could be a part of their families. She would release us. We had a particular brother, Brother Claude Green. So he would take us as children in and and feed us for the day and put us to sleep and so on and then take us back to school in the evening and then we would go home with her. And we had another elderly sister, Sister Elsie Grenada. She also would take us home some days and feed us and put us to sleep and we play with her grandchildren and then she brings us back to church in the evening. So we had a very rich 
childhood. <laughs> mm. And your mum, your mother was a mother to other children as well, wasn't she? You know, yes. as she welcomed yes. many yes. other children into your home. Yes, she did the same. She would bring children home with us. And she was quite influential in your community. Yes. Um, well, growing up together, my parents were one of the first set of persons moving into that community. It was a new community established and um, people were buying new um, houses in the area and they were among the first to settle there. Mm-hmm. And so as many of them were young families, the children our age are a little older, some a little younger. And um, moving into that community, all of them around the same time, they became like a family in that neighborhood. And so the parents there looked out for each other's children. And my mother was no exception. She was a mother to the young people in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, more particularly when she established her business, she had a, a grocery store. When she established her business and persons would be coming to buy, the children would be coming to buy their sweets and whatever, she had more opportunity to interact with them. So, yeah, she was, she, she reached out to everybody. Yeah, she sounds like such a wonderful, warm, passionate woman. Yes, she was. She, she never would forget your birthday, your wedding anniversary. I don't know how she did it, but she would never forget a birthday or a wedding anniversary or anything. And she was very um, practical in how she showed that she remembered because there was always a cake. There was always um, a special dish made for that occasion. If there was a death, she was bringing over food to help to share with the persons who were there to mourn with you. And she was always in the kitchen cooking something for some occasion. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) I'm sure you cook a lot as well, Sister Dawn. Yeah, I cook, but I'm not on her level. <laughs> She's on different level. <laughs> I'm not on her level. I don't, I'm not good at remembering dates. <laughs> and now take us forward to when you left home and you got married. So when I got married, for me, it, it felt a little tough because moving from a home with seven persons to just be with one person um, and then they were more the quiet type. My family is more chatty. You just need to open up the door and everybody's talking. So that was very different for me. It was, it was a big transition to make. Uh, but for the four months, but she died four months after I was married. For the four months, I found myself after work in the afternoon instead of going home. I would go home to mommy first and then come back home to my husband. <laughs> I had to get that connection first before I came home. Because <laughs> so, you, um, you were very close to her. Yes, I was very close to her. I, I, I tell everyone, that, that was my best friend. I could say, I could speak anything. I could speak my mind without worrying about being judged or anything. She, mm. she would guide me as to, uh, that wasn't the right thing to say. Or you need to start thinking differently because the word of God says so. <laughs> so mm. Yeah, that, that was the kind of person she was. So um, I felt very comfortable opening up anything I wanted to. And I think most persons were like that because they came to her. Everybody came to her for advice. Yeah. Tell us more about um, that time and, and what happened to your mother. 
so as I said before, um, mom was uh, like a mother figure to all the young people in the area. And uh, at that time, it, it was, um, she had her business, but now mothers in the area as well were going out to work. Um, who were teachers and working with the government ministries and so on. And the children, as they grew up, um, began to, you know, experiment with different things and so on. Um, we had a new family coming into our area to live. And um, for some reason, the, the father, the male figure in that family, started luring the boys particularly and uh, mom noticed that they were not going to school as they used to and um, their mothers were beginning to complain of missing money and missing things from in the house mm. not being aware that they were not going to school there was a frustration because there was nothing much even though you know she might have she might have told some of them what was happening and the children were not going to school but they were going to this house two doors away from us and the, the guy was selling them these different types of drugs to experiment with. Many of the homes, about half of the homes were only mothers. They were not father figures there. Um, so many of them felt helpless to do anything. And so my mom took it on herself to make a report to the police about what was happening. Quite unaware that the police was also friends with the guy who was selling the drugs to the boys. Mm -hmm. So the police came and told the guy that this woman two doors away made a report that you were selling drugs and so on. They didn't do him anything. They didn't do the boys anything. And so the guy enlisted two of the boys who were coming there. So these are young men that we know from the same area. Mom knows them well. But he got two of the boys to come in with guns to attack her. The intention was to kill her, but I, I don't think they were skilled at handling guns or anything like that. So when they first came and they shot at her, they missed. But the, her neighbor who was sitting with her, sharing the evening, he got the bullet in, in his head. It just went behind the ear, under the skin of, the, of the, his, his scalp. So he got one bullet. And all the rest missed mommy and him. So it was scary. The man had his, his surgery to remove it and so on. But mom would not be intimidated by that at all. She continued to run her business. And one year later, they returned. This time, they were well prepared. And um, they gave her seven bullets to her um, body area, destroying her spleen, her um, stomach. That whole area there, they, they didn't get the heart, but the spleen, the stomach, the liver were badly damaged and her spine had bullets lodged in it. So um, it, was, it was terrifying for us. It was terrifying for my sister who was home at the time. Incidentally, at that time, it was at the same time we were having Caribbean camp in Guyana. So our brethren from all across the Caribbean and a few from North America and so on were here at the time that it happened. My dad was not at home because, as usual, he was taking, it was night before some people traveled, so he was um, taking them around in, in his bus and 
taking them for ice cream, showing them what the, the city looks like. Because when we were at camp, it's not in the city, it's way out in the countryside. Mm -hmm. um, so dad was not at home. And so that night when they, they came for her, she was alone. Um, and my sister, who had just returned from camp, was in the house. So the boys came and they shot, shot her. They asked her to actually come out to show them um, something that was in the glass case. She had a glass case outside of the protected area that would have perfumes and jewelry and that dif different kinds of things. So they asked her to show them something from in that glass case. And when she came out, that's when they took the opportunity to, to shoot her. I was not there, but I was on, I was really agitated for some reason that afternoon, asking my husband that I want to go and see mommy. I want to go and see mommy. And we, he was delaying, delaying. And by the time um, we actually left home and got um, the bus and reached the area to, to start walking into where, there's a little distance to walk into where we live, about a quarter mile. Persons were walking out of the street saying, oh, your mom was just killed. Your mom was just killed. I said, that can't be my mom because my mom won't be killed just like that. But by the time we got there, the crowd was there in front of the house. And they said, you know, the ambulance, the ambulance just left with your mom for the hospital. She, we don't know if she's going to make it. So we headed down there. Um, and quite a few neighbors went down as well. And the word got around to the brethren and sisters. So the hospital was full of people. And her being a businesswoman and um, trading with so many other businessmen and women, she was well known. She was well known. So persons all congregated at the hospital to hear what would happen. And they didn't, um, the, the doctors said there was nothing much they could do because they couldn't take anything out of her spine because if they touched it, she would be a vegetable. Anyway, she would be a vegetable, whichever way it goes. So, of course... We, we prayed and, and asked God to have his way. She lived two weeks after that. She died two weeks after that, which was pretty tough. The first week she was able to talk and tell us, you know, what happened, who did it, um, how she felt. She was able to tell us that um, she, she knows she's dying. She feels like she's dying from her foot up. So all, she gave us all the details. And all of her last words and instructions that she wanted to pass on, she did that. That was within the first week. After that first week, there was no response. She was just there. She died on the Sunday night. So Monday morning, actually that was the same day Princess Diana died, the exact same day. Wow. And the morning newscast had both persons the, 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 about this death from both persons. Well, for the two weeks that she lived, the newspapers were always giving updates about what was happening to this businesswoman, how she was coping and so on. So you didn't have to personally know her, but everybody was following in the news what was happening to her. Yeah, so she died on the 31st of August. Uh, that would have been 1997. I think most of the town came out to that funeral. <laughs> It was difficult for particular for all of us. Our family changed forever after then. Mm. First, starting with my dad, he couldn't he couldn't adjust, so he he packed up and left the country. My sister after me, she packed up and left the country. Um, my brother won a scholarship 
which um, my mother was actually waiting for that result to come out. And we heard about him winning the scholarship a day or two after her burial. So she didn't get to hear that. She didn't get to see all the presentations and so on that was done for him. Yeah, so I, I, I remained here. I didn't want to go anywhere. I was just married. So um, I moved into my parents' home because dad had moved out. So it was me and my last sister, Deborah, until she left to go with my dad as well. And then it was just me and my husband. That must have been such a difficult time for you in that you were all in transition. You know, you were all all, doing doing different things in your lives and you were only recently married. You'd only just left home. Yes. And, and, and I was, I was pregnant at the same time. It, It was a lot of things changing for me. I was recently married. I was pregnant and daddy left. Daddy was the other half of the rock that was left and he couldn't cope. So he had to find a different um, environment to move to. Mm. Um, so after the, another reason why he moved to is because the same man had his um, boys threatening to, to kill him as well, tried to run him off the road while he was driving, threatening my sisters. So um, he thought that the best thing to do was to leave or else he too might have lost his life. What happened to the boys that killed your mother? They were caught. They, they were taken to court. Um, I should hasten to say that mom did advise us before she died that we must not, we, we should not bother with them. Don't follow up on the case. She did advise us to do that, but, but um, we thought otherwise that, once they caught the boys, that we should, we, we, we needed justice for her. <laughs> like most people say they want justice. But the, um, the whole court case swung around with the, their lawyers, the lawyers for the boys, trying to prove that it was my father who set up this whole thing to have my mother killed. That's because cool. he, they spun a whole story about daddy trying to have my mother killed because he wanted to have another woman in his life and so on. And daddy was so devastated with that, that he, he told the court he's not coming back. He's dropping the case. So we did drop the case. But December of that same year, the man who, the mastermind of the whole thing, he was killed in the same manner in Barbados in this December of the same year that mom was killed. And the two boys who did it, one died like about two or three years after in the same manner. And the last one, he died like about close to 10 years after that. He fled the country, actually. Mm-hmm. The police, re- after we dropped the matter, the police released them and he fled the country. But he came back in a box, dead, about 10 years after and that's when, you know, in, in the grief and mourning, his mother was crying out and saying, you know, this is, um, she knows God did this to him because of what he did to an innocent woman. So we then made all the connections about what was actually happening behind the scene. She well knew what was happening, but um, they thought they would have gotten off. But God came through for us. <laughs> and when your mother died, how did that affect your faith? I mean, she obviously didn't die in a natural way. It was very unexpected. And how did that affect your faith in God? Yeah, I, um, 
I must be honest, I was really angry with God at that time for allowing all of this to happen because in, in my little head, I'm saying God is all powerful. God is all knowing and he knows how much he strives to serve him and, and ensure that everyone around him serves, around her serves him, as she always says, in spirit and in truth. And so I, I couldn't wrap my head around why he would allow, first of all, her to be shot mm. and then allow her to die and see our family broken up like this. I could not understand what was happening. The one thing I did was, upon the advice of so many other supportive brethren and sisters, they said you might not understand what is happening and why, but just keep trusting God that he knows what is best and he's going to, he's going to eventually show you why. So that was the only thing I had to hold on to that eventually I will know why. I will see, I will see the effects you know, sometimes how God would allow things to happen. We might not think that it's nice. It wouldn't be nice for some of us, but the effects of it afterward could change forever a person's lives in a positive way. And I think that's one of the things that happened with mom because her siblings were not religious. They, her mother and father were, but her siblings did not take to the truth they were not so much into anything about God, with the exception of her one brother, which was Brother Patrick Rodney. Eventually, he became the recording brother of our ecclesia. Um, so apart from Brother Patrick Rodney, nobody else was particularly religious. After mom's death, everybody was forced to sit and think about how fragile life is and how short her time could be. And all of them found a Christian faith to join and became serious about it. Wow. So, so that was one positive thing happening. Um, another positive thing that happened was that I think for us as children, not as children, as young people, we had a greater focus on why we wanted the kingdom of God to come and mm -hmm. why we should hold on to all that we would have learned. Sad to say, my primary focus was I want the kingdom of God to come because I want to see my mother again. Not so, not so much about, about Jesus changing the world and all of that. It was just I want to see my mother again. So that was the primary focus until you know, I grew over the years and realized it's not just about me and it's not just about her, mm. but this is worldwide. Everybody is suffering in different ways. And this is the whole reason why the Lord Jesus Christ needs to return to change the world. So it, it kind of brought a focus to my life in the truth. Mm. Um, in a sad way, but in a real way, mm. um, I became more um, bold in facing death, understanding that it was just a sleep. Mind you, where she is concerned, my, I just coped with that by saying to myself, she's gone far away and I can't talk to her. That's the only thing. I, I couldn't accept this whole thing about her being dead and put in a box. And I, I couldn't accept that part at all. In fact, in the funeral, I didn't go to even see what she looked like. So were you, that was just me trying to cope. <laughs> yeah. Were there times where you felt very angry um, about her death and that God had taken her away from you? I was very angry. But um, 
eventually I had to understand that God is God. And yes, he knows things that could happen. And yes, he can prevent it, but he does not always do so for reasons he knows best. I delve deeper into the sufferings of um, our brethren and sisters from in the scriptures and how they weren't saved from it. Um, and ultimately, our Lord Jesus Christ, he too wasn't saved from it. But the, the positive um, changes that it made for those who saw what they went through, I was able to make that adjustment in, in my in my mind and um, you know become more committed to the cause of the kingdom mm -hmm. that this is a reason why the kingdom should be and I want to be a part of it did you find any other female figures in your life after that that were positive role models for you without your mother being around yes well I grew up with as I had indicated before, my mother was very connected to brethren and sisters, particularly. So with her not being around, I had a handful of her very close friends that were sisters in the Ecclesia who stepped in and acted as mothers to me, which I, I'm eternally grateful for because they helped me to get through that dark period in so many ways, in, in, you know, giving advice, in taking me out for lunch or for dinner, inviting me over to their homes to chat, taking care of my children when I was not in the mood to do that myself. Because mm. <laughs> I kept saying, you know, that, this is why my mother should have been here to help me with my children. Um, mm. We had some lovely sisters who stepped in to help. Um, to counsel, um, one of them was extremely kind when I when I was, you know, in depression. So many times she would notice it without me saying a word. She would notice it and get me a plane ticket and take me out out of the country for a while to just breeze off if it's just for a week or so on, and then come back and go at it again. And you know, she would visit our home from overseas to see how I was getting on. She would just physically try to be there. So I, I'm really thankful that God placed brethren and sisters in my life who demonstrated that love. That They didn't just talk it. They demonstrated it in a practical way so that, you know, I, I felt it and it made a difference. Yeah, definitely. And what, um, what is it about your mother's life and her example that has inspired you in your own life and your faith? I was particularly inspired by how mommy didn't just read her Bible. She lived it. Mm. She was constantly reviewing and vetting her own actions to ensure that it was in keeping with the word. Sometimes I would I, I see her, you know, something happens, she gets upset or she gets angry. And then by the evening she says, you know, let not the sun go down on your wrath. And she, she would try to mend that situation mm. before she goes to bed. Mm. She would, you know, her prayer life, the way she rallied around others who were in distress, all of those things impacted me. And I don't think it's just me. I think it's the brotherhood across Guyana itself because 
I've heard sis, brethren and sisters time and time and time again say how much she showed love to them and that's why they feel so moved to do it for others. Mm. It made a difference as well in how I trained my children because I understand that the faith that she had is like a, like a baton that I needed to pass down to the next generation. Mm. And um, it's important for the continuation, the eternal continuation of the family. It's not just about life here. The, the life here and now is, as the word of God says, is vanity, mm. right? It's, it's nothing compared to the life that is to be. So I've been through distressing times after that in my marriage and so on. But I kept in focus the one thing that she said to me, the faith must be passed down to your children so that they will be able to be in the kingdom. So the other things, the other problems just fade into the background. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the memorial fund that was set up in your, in your mother's memory. So we're going to talk about the Caroline Andrews Memorial Fund. Uh, what, what is it and what, what does it do? Or why, why was it set up? Tell us a little bit more about that backstory. Okay, so um, because of the timing of her death with my two younger siblings still in school, Deborah, Deborah had just, was about to write her exam. My brother had just finished school and was leaving on a scholarship. My dad wasn't in having a job. The sister after me also was now looking for a job. She had not so long finished university. So she was looking for a job. So practically none of them were working. And for this whole situation to hit them at that point in time, it was difficult to cope financially. Mm -hmm. And some of the brethren overseas came together, you know, friends of my mother who realized the situation we were in came together and said they would like to set up a fund to help my siblings just for the time that they were in, in, in this transition period until they can find a way to get on their feet. Um, so it was just for a short period of time um, that the funds were channeled to them for to help them to, to get off of the ground. And um, they established that fund called the Carolyn Andrews Memorial Fund in her memory. So they're also establish it to help other brethren and sisters who might be going, whose families might be going through the same sort of situation in cases of the breadwinner dying through persecution mm. of any sort. And that's anywhere in the world, isn't it? it um, yes. The fund yes. will help any, anyone in all anyone of the world in the world. Yes. who has suffered those circumstances. Yes. That's wonderful. And even though it was such sad circumstances that you lost your mother, it's wonderful that there is this, you have this memory of her, particularly through what this fund has done for the past, yeah. I think over 20 years, has helped Christadelphians and their families all over the world who have yeah. been vic victims of violence or persecution because of their faith. Yes. And let's talk a bit more about your mum she had so much integrity and faith because she stood up for what she believed. Um, yeah. She cared deeply for her community. She cared about the boys not being at school. Yes. She, she cared about how that was going to affect everyone. Yes. She, so she's that, she was that kind of person 
basically fearless. She speaks her truth. <laughs> I, I, I never quite understand that. Even if it gets her in trouble, she speaks from her heart. She loves from her heart. <laughs> you know exactly where you stood with her. If you're doing something that wasn't right, she lets you know mm -hmm. in no uncertain terms. But she would let you know in a loving way, you know. You know what you're doing is not right. The word of God says it's not right. So what are you doing about it? So, you know, and she would offer, try to offer solutions or some form of help so that whoever was having the difficulty could get over or get through that time. Not to mention, though, sometimes she would get herself in hot water because not everybody appreciates that. Yeah, but, but that's the person she was. She always spoke her truth. If, if she's seeing something is going wrong, she was not one of the persons to stay quiet. Mm. She would help to find a solution and work on it. Wow, what an example. <laughs> For the, uh, all our listeners, what advice would you give about maintaining your faith and growing your faith, especially when there are such hard challenges, such as losing, losing a loved one, especially too soon before their time? I think there is nothing compared to allowing yourself to feel the, the pain. I, I don't believe in masking it or mm -hmm. pretending that it's not there. But allow yourself to feel the pain, allow, allowing oneself to express, to talk about what's inside. It helps. That's the therapy that helps. Um, and as we express to those around us how we feel in honesty, there are persons that God has provided in our ecclesial family that would be able to help by giving some form of advice or some practice way they could probably reach out to help you to cope with that situation and so that's I think critical for us to open up and speak about what is inside so that we can find the healing that we need that's just one secondly I think um we need to as I as I like to say dig that that's the time to dig deep and find the rock upon which your faith was initially built. When when you reach rock bottom, you, you don't you're just devastated and you can't understand why and what is happening. That that's the time when you grow closer to God. Mm. That you can actually learn to talk to Him like a friend, like somebody who's actually sitting next to you. That you actually are able to understand your need for Him. Because it's only he could get you through that, that dark period. Mm -hmm. And finally, to keep your eye on the goal. We might not understand what we're going through, but never take your eyes off of the goal, which is the kingdom, because we can't see the whole picture. We don't know everything. And um, what we can do is trust God that he is still in charge of the situation. And um, he's going to work it out in the best way that he, he can. So um, I think that's the three things that helped me. Mm. You know, having a deeper prayer life, really talking to God as a friend, really getting into the scriptures one-on-one, -on -one, not, not with people or on anything, but anything we can feel within ourselves, someone in the scriptures already felt that way and has expressed it. 
particularly we find that in the psalm mm. so um you know in our times of, of trial and and um disappointment and so on we can find the times when the psalmist had those same feelings and sometimes it brings tears to our eyes that you, you're now actually feeling what they felt that you actually are able to to feel some of what the Lord Jesus Christ himself felt when he went through different things. He understood why he was going through it, that it was for us, but we don't always understand. But um, when we feel it, then we are able to, we're able to have a closer connection with the word. We have, we have a closer connection with God in the end. It doesn't happen right away, but it's, it's kind of like building on a relationship. Mm. And it happens when we're at our lowest many times. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> um, your reflections are really, I think they're very helpful. And it's, it's fascinating to hear your story. I mean, it's such a challenging story, something, you know, that I think many of us have never heard. You know, some people might have heard of the Carolyn Andrews Memorial Fund, but they don't know the story behind it and they don't know the story. Um, well, I certainly didn't until I heard about it through Sister Carol Link, who then put me in touch with you. And for anyone listening to this, if you would like to donate to the Carolyn Andrews Memorial Fund, it's an international emergency fund to help and support Christadelphians and their families anywhere in the world who are the victims of violence or persecution because of their faith. If you'd like to make a donation, please go to the WCF website, wcfoundation.org forward slash invest in faith. And there you can make a donation and, and express that it's for the Carolyn Andrews Memorial Fund, K-A-N-F. Is there anything else you'd like to, to share, Sister Dawn, or you, you'd like to talk about? Not really. I think we've covered just about everything. But I, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to share some of my mother's life mm. with others. Her life and her death actually have caused me to see the, the resurrection as what, what a joy that would be, mm. you know, coming back from from nothing, being reconstituted back from nothing to, to the person that you were full of life. So, um, you know, I would like to encourage others who might be affected, affected in the same way that all is not lost. God is still in charge. Mm -hmm. And um, in the end, he makes all things well.